Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Betsy Ten Boom, A Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books, and we are on chapter 23. And as I have said before, if you're listening to this with children, you might want to listen to it before they do. Chapter 23. Traveling to the refugee camp took a greater toll on me than I expected, both physically and emotionally. When we arrived back at the Baye, I was exhausted. William carried me up to my bedroom. I vaguely remember Corey pulling the covers over me. For the next week, I lay in bed, unable to do much else except think of the things I had seen and heard. As I did, I came to the conclusion that we could no longer ignore what was happening across the rest of Europe, and even in the Netherlands. We'd given ourselves that luxury far too long. I should have done something sooner, I thought to myself. What I could have done, I don't know, but I've seen firsthand how our efforts, weak though they may have been, motivated others to take up the cause, and that made the effort much more effective. I'd also heard firsthand of the atrocities visited upon the Jews by the Nazis, and I could never forget that. The Nazis meant to eliminate the Jews. Of that I was sure. Methodically, systematically, and in a way so subtle and disalarming that many otherwise good, upstanding people would fail to oppose it. Someone, many in fact, need to tell the Dutch people what is really happening. I was sure one person who needed to do that was me. As I lay in bed trying to recover and collect my thoughts about what to do next, Kick came to visit me. The trip, it seemed, was an eye-opening experience for William, too. Even as I lay in bed, he was organizing another trip to the camp this time carrying much-needed food. It's all he talks about now, Kick said. The way his eyes shone when he spoke, I knew the work of helping the refugees resonated with him, too. I hope he doesn't forget that he has to preach this Sunday, I said lamely. It was a wasted comment, and from the moment it left my lips, I wanted to take it back. Kick raised his eyebrows. He might have forgotten. I haven't seen him in the study all week. No telling what will happen on Sunday. Later that week, William stopped by the house to check on me. I looked up at him from my pillow. I hear you're going back to the refugee camp. Already been, he said proudly. Went up yesterday. Spent the night last night on my way back now. Kick said you were taking food. You should have seen it. William was more excited than I'd ever seen him in a long time. It was like a thousand Christmases rolled into one. Adrian had the kettles working and... Adrian? I felt my forehead wrinkled in a frown. Who's Adrian? The woman we met up there, with the boots and the army pants? That's her name. She never introduced herself. She didn't introduce herself to me, either. Someone else told me. But they started cooking, and the smell was fantastic. People were lined up all the way to the front of the camp, waiting to eat. Did you have enough? Food? Yes. Oh, yes, he nodded. There was plenty to eat, but we'll have to go back in the next few days. What about church? He had a puzzled look. What about it? Are they helping you? It was another wasted comment. I couldn't seem to shed the big sister role. I haven't really said anything to them, he replied, but I'm going to talk to them this Sunday. They'll hear a sermon like they've never heard before. How are the children? Kick and cocky? I shook my head. No, the ones we saw at the camp. Well, their bellies are full when I left, he grinned. 
A sad smile spread over my face at the thought of that little boy I'd seen as we arrived. I wish we could bring those children here, all of them, fill the house to the roof with children, keep them safe and warm and clean. William pulled a chair to my bedside and took a seat, then leaned close and lowered his voice. There was a twinkle in his eye and I knew something was up. I think we may have a way of doing that. Well, something like that, he said. I frowned at him. What are you talking about? Some of us are putting together a plan to get the children out of the camps and send them to England. To England? Yes. My eyes opened wide. Can you do it? I think so, he grinned. We flew 50 children to London two days ago. My mouth fell open. To stay? Yes, he nodded. Already? You sent them already? That was the first trip, to test the system and to see if it will work. Did it? Smooth as glass. How about that, I sighed. How long have you been working on this? We started preparing for it last month. Last month? I slapped him politely on the arm. Why didn't you tell me? It was too risky. The refugees started showing up several months ago, and we knew it was going to be a big problem. So we went to work on alternate plans, other than just leaving them in the refugee camp. That must be expensive. Flying them to London? Who's paying for it? Some very wealthy people who don't like what they see happening. They're stepping up to do something about it, at least in some small way. I'm just helping. Well, it's not just a small thing to those children, I argued, or their parents. I hope it helps. He leaned back in the chair and his face turned serious. But there are lots of elderly in the camp, too. I know. I talked to one of them. He asked about you. What did you tell him? I told him you were back here dreaming of more ways to help. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Now he's going to expect me to come back. That's a tough place for people like him, William continued. Tougher on the elderly than it is on the children. And there are more old people than young. Any way to get them out? The elderly? Take them someplace like you're doing with the children. Nah, I don't think so. No one seems too interested in helping them. He looked over at me. I thought I might do something for them. Like what? Start a home for them. It sounded like a very big project, and I wasn't sure he could make it work, especially now that Europe was sliding into war. What got you so interested in this? I hoped to take the conversation into a different direction. You, he replied with a jab of his finger. The answer caught me off guard. Me? What did I do? Seeing what you did right here in the neighborhood, gathering clothes and then going up there to deliver them, his eyes were full. This is what I've been looking for, doing something that affects people's lives. I don't think I was really made for pastoral ministry. Perhaps he was correct, but I knew William had responsibilities, a family and an obligation to his church. The thought of him turning his back on a career he had planned and worked towards for so long left me not a little shaken. It also left me feeling very much alive, and I decided there was no point in voicing the moderate approach, go slowly, take it one step at a time. We were well past that in our lives, and besides, it sounded like he really wanted to do it. So, where would you put this home? At Hemshark, where we're living now, he explained. There's a house just down the street from the church that would be perfect. How will that go over with your congregation? It was an obvious question. I couldn't risk asking it, and he needed to think about the church's reaction if he hadn't already. 
A house full of elderly Jews, I continued, living within sight of their church. I know, he shrugged. I thought about it. But I don't much care anymore. Many of our members are already disgruntled over the time I spent with the refugees. He looked me in the eye. But there's just one catch to this great plan. What's that? What if it doesn't work? And for an instant, I saw a look of fear flutter across his face. I smiled at him. How could it not succeed? I'd have to house, feed, and clothe them, and then would have to find a place to get medical care. These are elderly people. They're going to have medical problems, and all of that could be expensive. Once again, the thought came to me about how risky this venture was. But I pushed aside the voice of gloom and doom and said bravely, You'll take this one day at a time. Find the house, find the people, fill the rooms, and if they need medical care, God will provide it. He'll bring someone along to help. Do you really think so? I don't think it, I replied. I believe it. And that was the truth. If I'd gone by what I thought, I would have never offered the refugees the first article of clothing. Having done that and having seen what God could do with the efforts of just two women and an elderly father, I was certain God could see William through to success. If God is calling you, it won't fail, I assured him. And if it does fail, he'll have something else for you to take its place. The following week, William rented a house down the street from the church and equipped it with beds and linen, all of it donated by people he'd come to know through helping the refugees and the airlift of children to England. Much of the furnishings were used, and from what I heard, had seen better days, but it was adequate for the moment. Donors who were helping with the other projects provided enough money to get the home started, and by the end of the following month, William was ready to transport elderly refugees from the camp. Then, just before he was to leave to pick up the first group, he was called for an interview with the bishop. The bishop, it turned out, had learned of William's plan from several parishioners who objected to housing the refugees in town. Think of the risk, they urged. No one has tested or examined these people. We don't even know what diseases they're carrying, and we don't know what will happen to them once they're here. They could become a terrible burden on the village and the crown. One church member had gone so far as to suggest they might be German spies. The bishop thought their concerns were spurious, but didn't want trouble in the parishes. Not now, he insisted. This isn't the time. They'll be fine where they are. You can do this later, after everyone's calmed down. William would have nothing of it, and resigned his position on the spot. The following day, he drove to the refugee camp, gathered up as many of the elderly as could fit in his car, and brought them back to Hemskirk. At first, the house was just a house. He and Teen did most of the work, along with the help from Kick and Cocky. Gradually, he added staff members to help, many of them Jewish, and even employed some of the refugees. After he had had time to get things sorted out, Papa and Corey and I drove out to see what he was doing. William said nothing of the bishop or the protest from the churchmen. Teen told us all of that. It was a remarkable operation. The house was spotless and the guests looked as healthy as could be expected. We stayed with them a few hours and as they were preparing for supper, we took our leave. As I made my way down the front steps of the porch, an image flashed before my eyes. Only an instant, but sharp and clear just the same. In place of the small front yard that was actually there, I saw a lush green lawn with a driveway that extended down to the large iron gates. On either side of the drive were flower beds filled with tulips, all of them in full bloom. People from every age, men, women, healthy and infirm, 
tended those flowers, and as I watched one of them raised himself up straight and turned towards me, he was smiling at me, and then I realized it was the man I met at the refugee camp. Just as quickly, the image disappeared, and Corey was at my side. Are you okay? she asked with a look of concern. Yes, I nodded. Just needed to stop for a moment. William joined us. Let me help you. He took my arm in his to guide me down the steps. When we reached the bottom, I asked, Do you remember the man I talked to that day when we went to the camp? Yes, William replied, and I saw a hint of sadness in his eyes. Have you seen him again? He was on my list of people to collect on my first trip, but when I arrived, they told me he had died the day before. Tears trickled down his cheeks. That The day I was meeting with the bishop, I was supposed to be there that day. If the bishop hadn't called, I would have made it. But if he died, I said, trying to comfort him, don't you think he was likely ill already? I know, but still, I could have been there. Did he know you were coming for him? Yes, and he was happy to be coming here. Williams forced a smile. He wanted to see you again and talk with you some more. I think he was worried that what he had said had upset you. I think he told me the truth, though. I took William's hand in mine. Don't you? Yes, William nodded. He did. He said as much, but he wanted to see you again. I think he had more to say. Next week will be chapter 24. If ever you are all in the area of the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter, I would love to have you come. And, and uh, I do Corey there, Corey Timboom there about uh, four or five times a month. Well, I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.